This teaching comes to you from the team at St. Mark's, Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you. Well, let's pray. Give us grace, O Lord, not only to hear your word with our ears, but to receive it into our hearts and to show it forth in our lives. For the glory of your great name. Amen. Now, I don't know if you knew this, but in 1996, John F. Kennedy, former uh, President John F. Kennedy's putter, his golf putter, sold for 63000 American dollars. In 2008, Don Bradman, the best cricketer in Australian history, uh, his cricket cap sold for 400000 Australian dollars. The movie star Audrey Hepburn, well, she had her Burberry trench coat sold in, for £68,000 in 2017. Why do we do this? This is a very strange thing that human beings do to have the artifacts of special and famous people. I, to be honest, I couldn't afford those prices, but if someone gave me the opportunity of having those things, I would love to have them. The mystique of fame means that even something that a famous person has touched or come into contact with, somehow we think becomes endowed with an almost magical aura, even divine aura. Even though we know it's irrational, we think that somehow greatness gets passed down through these things, on by touch. We think it's like some kind of good virus. If only we can touch greatness, we will catch it. It's contagious. That's why so many celebrities, including Tom Hanks, have been the first to contact, uh, contract the coronavirus because lots of people want to touch them. Now, back in the Middle Ages, something very similar went on. The place of celebrities was taken by saints, the saints. And in those days, there was a great trade in relics, the relics of the saints, that is, objects that they had allegedly touched or had that belonged to them or were parts of their bodies. And you could visit them and worship at them, uh, pay to see them. Uh, and you'd hope in some way to catch their sanctity, their holiness, if only you could see their hair or their toenails or their shoes. And this was true of Jesus too in the Middle Ages. People thought there were all sorts of artifacts and things that Jesus might have touched and if they only they could be in the presence of those things, it would be great for them. They would get that holiness. The Holy Grail you've probably heard of, the cup allegedly used at the Last Supper. Erasmus, the great thinker of the 16th century, once said that there was enough uh, there are enough pieces of the Holy Cross to build a small town. Even in the 20th century, there were up to 30 holy nails, supposedly nails used to crucify Jesus, uh, that you could find and go and visit in Europe. Of course, there can only have been three of those in reality. Today, there's a church in Rome where you can go and see the umbilical cord of Jesus. Now, was something like this impulse behind what that woman said in Luke's Gospel, in chapter 11, when she called out from the crowd and said to Jesus, Blessed is the womb that gave you birth, that bore you, and the breasts that nursed you. What she's saying, what she's getting at, is it really that it would have been really cool to have been so intimately involved in the life of someone so famous that his aura must have rubbed off on her in some way? Well, it's like that, but I think it's also a bit deeper Something which is true of Middle Eastern culture even today, where family bonds and honour codes are so important. A mother was and is today valued because of the achievements of her son. Oh, to be the mother of such a son who could teach so powerfully and demonstrate such 
spiritual authority. It was not just that such a mother would be regarded as obviously a great parent, with great maternal strategies, but but his honour would be hers by dint of her close biological and familial ties to him. Surely to have given birth to and nursed the Messiah of God himself, surely such a woman would be blessed. She would be a woman of great honour. But the woman's claim is not just about Mary and how fabulous Mary is supposed to be. It runs much deeper than that. Luke, you might remember, starts his gospel with a genealogy. He puts a genealogy pretty early on in his gospel, the genealogy of Jesus, showing that Jesus was the descendant of all the greats of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, and King David. So the cry about how great it was to be Jesus' mum is also a cry about how great it is to be part of such a people that would have produced the Son of God. It was actually a cry of national pride. Aren't we blessed? And aren't we a blessed and honoured people having this special racial connection to the Son of God? And this gives voice to a great tension that's bubbling away in the whole Bible. God chooses a people for himself, the children of Abraham, and they are genetically related to one another. But time and time again, the people presumed that this genetic connection made them special, that it was that that made them special, that gave them a family link to God, and that that was then a sign of their holiness and blessedness. But their prophets kept telling them over and over, how can you presume on God like that? In the daily devotions, we've been looking at Amos quite recently, and he's been saying that to the people of Israel. Really, he puts it very sharply, of course. How can you presume on your relationship with God that he, you're part of his family just by dint of what people you belong to? When you're very unjust, you don't obey him. When really what's distinctive about the people of God is not that, but that they hear the word of God and obey it. And if you don't heed the word of God, then don't expect to find his favour just because of who you are. You can't mistreat the poor and accept corruption and be known for your cruelty and presume that you are then in the blessed category. And that's what we we read in Psalm 1, one of my favourite psalms, the psalm that we heard, it was obviously a, we heard it read earlier, it's obviously a, a theme psalm for the whole of the psalm being the first psalm. It goes like this, happy or blessed are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or take the path that sinners tread or sit in the seat of scoffers. But their delight is the law of the Lord, and on his law they meditate day and night. What makes God's people blessed in the psalm? What gives them that blessing? Not their genetics, not their traditions, not their connections. It's that they hear the word of God and obey it. They meditate on it. It's become part of them. They ingest it, they swallow it, and chew it. That's exactly what Jesus says in reply to the woman in Luke's gospel, isn't it? He says, it's not the the person who gave birth to me who's blessed, just because she gave birth to me. But blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Now in the last few weeks, we've been talking about Jesus' call for us to be his followers and not his fans to be his disciples, and not to be just his admirers. And to be Jesus' disciple, his student, involves a very simple qualification. Hear the word of God 
and obey it. To be his blood relatives is irrelevant to whether you are blessed or not. To catch his aura by gazing on his celebrity makes no difference at all. The only connection that matters is, are you his followers? Think of the surprising story of the Good Samaritan that we heard just a few weeks ago. The foreigner who understood the law of love better than the priest and the Levite. He really had heard the word of God and was putting it into practice, obeying it. And what about the story that Tim shared with us of Mary and Martha, not Mary, Jesus' mother, but the other Mary, where Mary was praised because she sat and listened, remember, at Jesus' feet. She chose, as Jesus said, the better part. And it turns out that Jesus' mother Mary was actually a great example of what Jesus was saying in verse 28. Luke records how when the angel told her about her baby, she received that news with humility and obedience. She said to Gabriel, let it be with me according to your word. And in her wonderful song of praise, she says, Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. See, she will be called blessed, the one whose womb bore Jesus and who nursed him as a nursing mother. And we should remember her and give thanks to God for her example of faithful obedience to God. The woman was right. She was blessed. But it's Mary's discipleship as Jesus' mother that means she is blessed, not her maternity. She is, you might say, the first disciple. So if we are to be like her, what will it mean for us to hear the word of God and obey it? And especially in this time of crisis and anxiety, what will it mean? Well, firstly, Jesus is calling his disciples to know him and to know what he teaches. We are those who listen to him. That's who we are. That's in our DNA. The great reformer Martin Luther once said, the ears alone are the organ of the Christian. I love that. The ears alone are the organ of the Christian. We're, we're listening people. We hear in these times of terrible uncertainty and when we are the most insecure and where we feel some of us that we've got nowhere to turn or we don't know where to turn, when we have confused and conflicted information coming at us, what are we to do? We're to listen to Jesus. We're to sit at his feet. We're to ingest the word of God. We're to hear God's word because the word of God is what we need more than ever at this time. And that's not just empty, pious nonsense. The word of God is the word that will change everything, which will secure us. The word of God assures us that God is powerful and that he also loves us. The word of God tells us that God is almighty and most merciful. It tells us, as we saw a couple of weeks ago, that we can pray to him because he is like a father who wants to give good things to his children. And the word of God tells us that the coronavirus is not the Lord of history. Jesus is the Lord of history. The last word belongs to him. For a time we may feel uncertain and unsure but the victory, even over death, belongs to him. That's a word we really need to know well right now. That's a word we want to become part of us, even more than before. And that's why 
we are going to pursue as a church in this time a path of deeper discipleship. We're going to keep our Bibles open. The ministry team is going to be supplying you with the resources to go deeper into God's Word. Why not start by memorizing passages of the Bible? You could make it part of your hand-washing routine. You know, you're supposed to wash your hands for about 20 seconds, half a minute. Well, why not find a passage of Scripture for your hand-washing routine? And this week, I actually want to invite you to use that first psalm, that magnificent psalm, and use that as part of your hand-washing routine And for us as a church together, as we stay together in this time, to go about memorizing that, have the common task of memorizing Psalm 1 as part of our deeper listening to the Word of God. But, you know, we'd be sapped to listen to the Word of God and not obey it. And there's never been a more urgent time for the disciples of Jesus to obey his teaching. So I want to ask you, are we loving our neighbors as ourselves, like that good Samaritan? Firstly, are we taking all the precautions necessary to keep our community healthy? Are we being careful? Are we expressing our love through that care? And secondly, are we looking out for the needy, the isolated, the poor, the distressed, those who are doing it tough at this time? In my talking to people over this last, uh, this last week or so, I know that there are those among us, those in our community who are facing financial ruin. Some people are experiencing the pain of social isolation already. Some people will experience in the coming weeks and months grief and loss. Some of us are deeply worried for our relatives, uh, for our friends. Are we going to be there for one another in this time? Now already, I've, I've had some great offers of help from people in our community too. Help for people in our community and for our neighbours. But what can you do? Can you maybe give people a phone call? Maybe you're isolated yourself, but you could spend some of that time ringing people, just connecting with people and showing them the love of God. Do you have some food to share? I'm hoping that we'll be able to start a some kind of a food bank so that we can provide food for those who are in need. Can you use your gifts in a way that uh, keeps people together? Right now, you and I have an opportunity to show that we've heard the word of God. We've really heard it and that we're really putting it into practice, that it's taken deep root in our lives. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at www.stmarksdp.org to subscribe to our new episodes, browse more resources and find more information about the community of St Mark's.